Welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches. We're a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. What is up? Jeremy Russia hanging out with you for another episode, but this is not just any old episode. The Big 3-0, episode 30. Whether you've listened to all 30 episodes now or this is your first time listening to 10,000 Pitches, thank you so, so much for giving us a chance and lending us your ears. If you could and you haven't already, subscribe. Hitting that subscribe button is huge. The more subscribers we have, the better we're placed across the platform. So if you haven't subscribed, please do. Also, this is the big thing. If you haven't left us a rating and review yet on your preferred podcast platform, please do so. Um, that is just enormous for our placement on those platforms and our overall exposure and uh, helping grow this podcast. So if you have an iPhone, even if Apple Podcasts is not your preferred platform, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. That is enormous. And also just rate us or review us if your preferred podcast platform allows it. You can also follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at 10K Pitches. That's at 10K Pitches. Our latest episodes have been awesome. Last week, we had new forward Madison head coach and former Minnesota United gaffer Carl Craig on to talk about his hiring and what he's been up to the last four years. Dan Hudeman, Minneapolis City co-founder, was on a couple weeks back to talk about their year in review. And speaking of forward Madison, the Flamingos' Michael Vang, St. Paul's own Michael Vang, just signed on for another year to play with forward Madison. He was on the show a few weeks back. So go listen to those episodes. Let me know what you think. Again, 30 episodes now. I can't believe we reached this uh, this milestone. Thank you so much. Coming up on today's show, we're uh, hanging out with Joy of the People co-founder and artistic director Ted Creighton. He's talking to us about the Joy of the People Youth Organization and Joy Athletic Club, which will be competing in the NPSL North next season. Yes, another NPSL team from Minnesota starting next year. Uh, very, very excited. And this is the last episode for a couple weeks. We're taking Christmas and New Year's week off just to kind of reset. We have a bunch of great stuff lined up for you in 2021. So thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get to spend some time. If you can't spend some time in person with your family, I hope you get to spend some time virtually with your family. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough for listening to 10,000 pitches over these first seven months or so. And hopefully 2021 will be an even bigger year for the show and the brand. Now let's get to my interview with Joy of the People and newly formed Joy Athletic Club co-founder, Ted Creighton. Hope you enjoy it. Now I have the pleasure to welcome in the artistic director and co-founder of Joy of the People and newly formed Joy Athletic Club. It's Mr. Ted Creighton. Ted, how are you today? Thank you so much. Very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Nice to Meet you, Jeremy. Nice to meet you too. Uh, very familiar with Joy of the People. Uh, you guys started in 2009. Uh, this has really become, I would say, in my opinion, a kind of a model organization for helping provide opportunities, specifically opportunities to play soccer to the youth and communities who may not normally receive those opportunities. Um, how did this venture all get started? Well, there was a, a bunch of us who... Um actually three of us who were on the original Thunder team. Um, we played together and we were close friends and uh, went to Brazil together. And we, um, I saw that the, the kids in Brazil were playing in a much different way. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the way I played sort of street basketball and, and pond hockey, but I <clears throat> didn't do it as much in soccer. I, I, I came into soccer kind of late. I started at 16 the um and we would always talk about 
ideas around development. And, uh, you know, we sort of had a, a really good, um, healthy dialogue, a culture of talking about. And at the time I was um, director of coaching at the Blackhawks and, and really diving deep into uh, development and asking the difficult question of how do we get better? How, how do kids get better? What is better? And uh, we, you know, we, we were very innovative at Blackhawks. We, we had the famous Monroe Skills Program. Uh, anybody who's in St. Paul knows that program. We had, we started the first futsal tournament. We actually had free play going uh, probably in 98 at Concordia University where we had four courts going and we mixed up teams and we were experimenting with a lot of things and really uh, comprehensive skill development. Uh, dome training, uh, you know, within that dome training, we had it really well organized with Brazilian skills training, with uh, speed and fitness training. Uh, we were just doing it all. And um, <clears throat> I, I remember running a, a, a tryout for uh, probably the top group of 11 year olds that we ever had. And I had my really good friend Muchet. and so he was at the tryouts and after the tryouts some of the kids were waiting for their car ride and there was uh, 11 kids lined up and they're all great players and uh, Rafi asked him hey what do you want to be when you grow up and the first kid goes professional soccer player the second kid goes professional soccer player went all the way down the line and the 11th kid was only spoke Spanish and he goes footballista <laughs> so it it, it what it did was it started afterwards. I remember Rafi saying, um, you know, you have a tremendous task on your hands. And I go, why is that? Well, it's like you have to give them the best education that you can think of because their dreams are, you know, in your, and so we sat down and he, he came up with the idea of doing this sort of like uh, a version of free play down in a, in a Richfield middle school gym, which is this old wrestling gym with carpeted floors, but it had two different rooms and it was perfect for 3v3 and all winter long, uh, Rafi set the rules. It was like, you could drop off your kids, but you couldn't come watch. Um, I remember we, we had a plan to keep score of the games, like to track, to track who's winning, who's losing. But that quickly fell off the wayside and, and for good reason. The, um, we just watched the kids play and they enjoyed it and they, picking up skills and it was sort of the beginnings of this idea of like wow kids need more play yeah. and um you know seeing we poured everything we could into into blackhawks and we we still weren't i mean we produced really really good players but there was still something missing and what we thought was it's got to be free play we got to figure that out with blackhawks we went and got orchard rec center and that became sort of the free play idea yeah, but it didn't really take off. And um, and we we had those dreams of those ten year old kids in our hands, saying, "Look, if you want to be up, those dreams are important. We shouldn't be saying only one percent of one percent of the kids gets to be professional soccer players. So we should just give them any old education. We wouldn't do that in in mathematics. Uh, you know, we wouldn't do that in rocket science and say, hey." you'll never be a NASA rocket science. So might as well just, you know, do any old math program. No, we give, we do the best we can. And so we kept asking ourselves that question 
And uh, as we watched kids grow at Joy of the People, we started, we really, that's when the learning took off because we, it was, you know, I like to tease that we're braver than Jane Goodall or Diana Fossey, who, who studied chimps and apes. We studied wild children. <clears throat> and um, those early days were really funny because the kids didn't know how to play together. Yeah. And um, they would chase each other with bats and uh, they would like, oh my gosh. you know, and it, and I would walk into the gym and say, nothing good is happening here. There's no, and I was, and, and Victor was really, and Rafi both said, and my brother Glenn said, look, you got to be patient. You just got to, and when we finally kind of saw them play uh, in a more competitive situation where we brought them to a, a little mini tournament, they played totally differently. And so we started to see that, wow, some of the things that we would normally teach the kids, they were able to use in a different way. And we, we probably benefited by not introducing that, um, that sort of piece of curriculum too soon. And um, we started, then we started, we took a deep dive and said, okay, we got to really study this because this seems appears to be really working. And um, the, um, so the, the real mission of Joy of the People is to sort of um, advance free play uh, as sort of an education tool, as important for the child's life. And I think the big kind of discovery was <clears throat> we tend to see <clears throat> soccer as a, as a, a athletic sport. I think if you go to the higher coaching levels now, higher coaching classes, um, they're looking at soccer in a much different way, um, almost as a language. Yep. And uh, if you wanted to learn a language, nobody really knows how we learn our first language. It just appears. And there's some theories. One is that we it's nurture. And the other is that um, there's a language machine in our brains. Um, but if you want to learn a second language, there's some pretty good evidence that some people learn it better than others. And so maybe we can look at soccer as a second language. Okay, if that's the case, the best way to learn a language is to first go through a period called acquisition where you're just focused on the input. It's about the beauty of the language. It's about the immersion of the language. Then later, the skills, laws, rules, and techniques. When we teach you sports in this country, we, we tend to just focus on the skills, laws, rules, and techniques and, and, and spend very little time on sort of the beauty and joy of it. But in Brazil, there's, that's all you can see. Uh, when I went to Brazil and uh, I went there in 89 with Victor to, to, to discover this kind of see what was up, I was like, when does this serious soccer going to start? Yeah. You know, I was always on the seat on the to going, all right, next game. I mean, when is it going to be serious? And it just never was. And later I was reflecting and it's like, you know, it has to be that, that there must be something that they understand uh, that has been passed down through the genius of time and the Brazilians in that culture. And don't take it easy. You know, the word hustle in Brazil is as a soccer player is a, is a pejorative. It's like, you shouldn't be hustling. And, um, as we looked at this, we were like, okay, we have to keep looking. What is better? What is, you know, um, in Brazil, they have a saying that the skill is, is, a, is an action performed um, in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort. And that 
that was sitting in front of me for so long until sort of I discovered that, yeah, okay, I get it. Um, a play is all about the least amount of effort mm -hmm. and learning. So acquisition, the first part of learning is about play and about how do we do things easy as possible. And the second part of learning is about speed, time. How do we do things more uh, quickly and fast as possible? And in youth sports, we only tend to teach fast as possible with no notion towards making it easier. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in the play, things like relative age effect and uh, the fact that in youth sports, the, the kids are bigger and stronger and faster than the, than the kids that don't. The premier kids are bigger, stronger, faster than the C2 and C1 kids. But if you go to the pro levels, the smaller the higher level you go, the smaller the players are. They're lighter, um, but the lower level teams are bigger, stronger, faster, because that's what's emphasized. So it became a study of, all right, you have time and you have energy. Those are your two resources. And so it became uh, more of a tangible thing, more of an object objectified thing that we could place as a real reason for play. And we see that with our kids, that they, although they're, they're athletic, they, they know how to slow the game down to sort of slow time down mm -hmm. to make things happen in a really, and those, that was always the goal is to find out what better is. And I think, you know, if you want to tie a, a, a coach's brain up, you, all you have to ask them is, you know, what is skill? What is talent? And, you know, they'll, They'll, dr they'll drift into subjective, uh, you know, ideas of, well, it's the right time and right place, but what's the right time and right place? And the fact is, is that there's never two re repeating actions in soccer. There's never two that will ever be the same uh, or ever have been the same. But each action you can make easier, each action you can make faster. And those are the two things that we, that we um, kind of sort of discovered. And so then we... I would say discovered, but I would say have sort of implemented in our um, the way we teach it. So bottom line, what that says is, okay, kids should play close to home. They should play with their friends. They should, they should build a community. You shouldn't take the elite kids out of the community because it kind of destroys the community. The community and the kid develop together. So if we want to, for those little 10-year-olds, the best thing was for them to stay together, to play together, to enjoy themselves, to bring in a lot of variation with older kids, younger kids, different mm -hmm. kids, kids, all different skill levels, girls, boys, different. We started to look at differential learning with different environments and floors. And so we bouncy fields and we have uh, inflatables and we use every kind of ball you can think of. And we think that should be there for as long as possible. And not, and so we don't, we've never had a selection in 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, and what the, the cool thing is, is every kid develops. Every kid, now they all, don't all become pros, mm -hmm. but they get good at something they really like. They're happy to be there. And um, our goal is to like kind of grow this idea, this environment. 
So you mentioned starting with uh, their kids chasing each other with baseball bats. Uh, when did, at what point, how far in, or was there a specific point that you remember it kind of the corner turning from that into like, okay, this is actually starting to head into a direction that I, you know, envisioned when I, when I started this. Well, I tell the story, I've told this in a lot of podcasts and I think there's two real, um, we went to, we got invited by Prior Lake. We had some friends there and they, they were looking for a U11 team for a futsal tournament to fill out the tournament. And I said, well, you know, we got these like seven kids and they're U10. Uh, we got one U11. Um, so, okay, I guess we'll bring them. And I remember I had to coach skills that day. So I was, I, I couldn't go and a, a, a parent was coaching them. And my wife called me and I was kind of dreading the phone call because I didn't know what would happen because what we would do is let them pick a ball, play in the gym. We just said, be productive. Don't, mm -hmm. no kissing, no hugging, no pushing, shoving. Um, the, uh, you know, don't kill each other. Just <laughs> make something happen. And so we would put uh, music on. And interestingly, the kids would always beg to have their music. And I would always say, no, it's going to be, I want to be happy. I'm playing my music. So I'd go play the music and I'd go off into the office. Mm -hmm. And I would check in on them now and then. So when they played in this tournament, my wife called me and she goes, you won't believe what's happening. And I go, okay, how, am I, how much are they getting killed? No, the score is 14 to 13, which is kind of a high score for futsal. Yeah. And she goes, they, they just score, the joy people scores, and then they let the other team come down and score so they can get the ball right away. And then they go down <laughs> and score. <laughs> they, um, they had these spray painted jerseys. We made them the night before. Yeah. And um, I remember we were driving back and my son goes, dad, you finally came through because he was so proud to have that Jersey. Yeah. And uh, so the, um, all those kids on the, on that team are still with us, by the way. So mm -hmm. it's like really cool that they, but the, but um, in the final, they played a friend of mine's team who was at MTA and MTA was probably, you know, the, the premier Academy at the time. And these kids were U11. Our kids are just a little bit younger. You, we didn't purposely play them up, you know, mm -hmm. time. It's not a mismatch. There's no re much relative age effect 11 down. So it was, they were pretty even in size, but they were like lined up with bags and everything was perfectly organized and a nice warm up. Mm -hmm. And I'd gotten to the, to the tournament by then. And so um, I, I could see our kids like looking at them with their nice uniforms and their warm up, just being intimidated. And um, as they played, again, I didn't coach them. I just watched their, their team would come up to our team. So it, as you can imagine in free play, you're doing a lot of dribbling. You're doing what the kids want to do, which is dribble and shoot and score. Mm -hmm. But when our kids had the ball, the other team would come up and get in what's called a really good first defender where they would get down low and they would, they would um, cut off any penetration. So our kids couldn't yeah. shoot, they couldn't cross, they couldn't. And um, I go, oh boy, uh, you know, Matt's really taught them really good first defender. I probably should have done that as well. Hmm. And, but as the, but when, when MTA got the ball, our kids would just run right at them like full speed ahead, like yeah. trying to get the ball. 
and they would, it's the easiest thing to step to the side. And often they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we would foul them, but sometimes we'd actually get the ball and we'd be on the other side of them. So we made like an offensive move, a pressing move, I guess. Yeah. And you would be in on goal or you'd have a, a chance. You'd, you'd make some penetration. And I remember as I watched that, I go, wait a second. The kids are kind of doing something innovative with something I might have taught out of them had I taught them first offender. They're going in close and they're pickpocketing them. And if you've ever played a street ball against really good like Brazilian, South American, anybody who's grown up on the street, if you let them close to you, they can take the ball away. They got a hundred ways to pick your pocket. Yep. And I, I was thinking, okay, maybe this is what's happening. And sure enough, as the game went on, you could see the MTA kids looking over at their coach saying, hey, what's going? where's their first defender? Why are they coming so close? What's going on here? And um, the at that, that was the light bulb moment where I said, okay, um, if I would have taught first defender, I would have, I would have, I would have taken away their opportunity to learn this item. Yeah. And uh, that would have been a mistake because they're turning this into an advantage. Emmanuel, yeah. the kid who's uh, went pro, he stole the ball from them and ran around the defender and scored the winning goal. Wow. The, the, um, the, at that point I go, you know, I'm, I've studied at academies all over the world. I, you know, I, at that point, I had my Brazilian A license. I took my A license between 2004 and eight, and mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, what other mistakes am I making? Yeah. Um, and at that point, we dove deep into free play and said, okay, there's something really important happening here that we need to figure out because um, we can't just throw a ball out willy nilly and and um, you know, in order to bring kids into joy the people. I had to really convince parents in order to convince parents. I I needed to know what I was talking about. And, um, you know, we had, you know, we've had a lot of people come into that gym and watch buzz has been there. Manny's been there. Manny's kid is is trained there. Mm -hmm. The, um, everybody appreciates the, the beauty of the environment, but it's like what you really have to really appreciate is it takes so much time. Yeah. that you never see the magic happen. The magic happens like when you go away and you come back and you say, wow, that kid grew four inches. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't see it in front of you. It just now and then when they, the best time for me is when they go play high school and, and I can see the kids really surprised that they make varsity really surprised with what they can do, how they sort of, um, how, how they sort of, well, if soccer is a language, that means that when you have the ball, you are you are kind of the 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 main you have the microphone, and what you're doing is you are telling everybody what you're going to do. They're telling you what they're going to do. There's movement. People are calling for the ball with their feet moving. This communication is ongoing. And what you see with kids in free play is they do this all the time. So therefore, they are really good communicators. They will instead of saying often, a good case is. This kid, Micah, I'll post, a, I'll send you the link because I think everybody should should watch his highlight video. This guy is Mr. Easy as possible. What he tells people is he doesn't stick his chest out and say, look, I'm here. I'm going to save the day. You know, mm-hmm. I got the ball. I'm the big hero. I'm coming get me. It's more like, hey, don't worry about me. You know, I'm just, I'm just this, you know, skinny white boy. 
I'm going to don't whatever you do. No. Oh, sorry about going by you. I really didn't mean to do that. Oh, <laughs> the balls, you know, in our goal. The and when you think about it, this is really an evolutionary stable strategy. This is mm-hmm. evolutionary. I never taught him and said make it easier, but over time and games, they sort of figure it out and they they entertain themselves by how can I make it easier? And they entertain others. Look how easy I made. Look how Micah did it. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to imitate that. I'm going to try the things that he did. And um, yeah, I guess that was the sort of, you know, genesis of it all. So outside of the soccer, you guys really kind of strive to help build or improve some of these, uh, some of these neighborhoods, you know, you plant trees, implement bike racks, you know, pollinator habitats, et cetera. Did you guys, did you always know you wanted this endeavor to be sort of multifaceted and, you know, providing soccer opportunities, but also providing all around resources and making additions and positive improvements to these communities. And has, has that portion of it sort of cultivated in your opinion, a better environment for, for the soccer? So when I started to look at free play, I really got into um, evolution, evolutionary studies. How do we learn skills? What are, how do skills germinate? And I guess um, the the uh, the separation of community and kids is kind of the the big thing, and um, the formation of those communities. What is community? How does community develop the kids? If you if you go back and look at the best so, uh, soccer ever played, you'll find that it 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 was preceded by the best soccer culture. Um, in the 30s, uh, Vienna was known for its coffee shops, where everybody talked about uh, Sindelar and how the the false nine. Mm-hmm. In the 50s, it was hung, Hungary, um, where they were talking about ideas of of uh, third man running in the 60s and 70s it was the famously the dutch and their ideas is can we switch positions and can we uh, can we press forward when we lost the ball in the and uh, then it was you know and then brazil and and i you could argue that spain is the best culture now with the inter, inter, winning futsal before they won the world cup mm-hmm. and so the the idea of a really good a community and, all, and and those communities has launch pads for development of kids is really what joy of the people is about yeah. not separating the right now what we do is hey jeremy i'm sorry but i'm elite we're neighbors but i have to go across town to to the elite club you know four times a week mm-hmm. to train and when i get back i'm too tired to play with you yeah so um we really saw that the community in the I don't want to say elite, but but if we want elite, if we remember those dreams of those 11 year olds, if we want that, we really have to focus on the community. So building of mini fields, taking our inflatables to events and uh, community mm-hmm. events, um, you know, working with University of Minnesota to build this. Um, what we did is we built a mini field that um, in the Capital Watershed District that stores water underneath the field so that it doesn't run into um, the um, uh, Mississippi River. Yep. And it, it, it serves as a water resource. Um, wow. You know, it's a green effect. And so mm-hmm. all the, the butterflies, it's, you know, that where we sit in St. Paul, it's like a monarch butterfly root. 
So yeah. we have like a, a, a butterfly garden that Steve Masty, our, our wonderful designer put in. And this summer, this August, I mean, in the midst of, you know, we're all masked up, we're all outside. These beautiful butterflies coming through was absolutely amazing. It's really something to see. And this year was, you know, bigger than ever for them. So it's always been a part of, we have to keep the community together. Mm-hmm. And I think kids in play, they play with the idea of community. They learn, okay, some people are currently more experienced than others. Some people are older, some are younger, some are brand new, some need a little bit of help. If you ever watch a, a five-year-old play in our gym, you know, there's always that time where the big kids, he happens to get the ball and the big kids like, you know, pretend to defend him and he somehow dribbles by them or puts the ball through the leg and they fall mm-hmm. over and he works his way all the way up to the goal and he scores and um nobody told the kids to do that Mm -hmm. this is their way of sort of helping him and helping themselves i would say so where you guys are now you're obviously you know in the soccer community you know especially here in minnesota everybody knows who joy the people is um you have the npsl team now Uh, when you started this in 2009 what were your expectations and where are you guys now compared to those initial expectations well um i thought there was something in free plan i thought we could we could we could really grow it um um, and as I saw it happening, as I saw it working and knowing um, how the other, you know, curriculums are being run, um, I really thought that everybody would want to do it, especially around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think in general, people do want to do it, but they, it's hard to prioritize that time. They have to focus on other things. Yeah. And so um, that's really I, I wouldn't say we're small, but it's kept our community very tight. I think the outreach that's happened nation and worldwide, the letters, you know, probably once a week, I get letters from all over the world, like asking me to talk about or ask questions about free play. I think we've become kind of like, I would say a world leader in the study of this free play and development of kids. Mm-hmm. And um, we're really happy about that. And, but we've always struggled with, okay, how do we scale it? How can we bring this to more kids? Because, you know, my, my goal is to win the world cup with free play kids. And I yeah. don't think that, I don't think that if you look at Reynoso play, who I love, um, that's a free play kid. Yeah. You can't tell me, you can't tell me, I mean, his back is slumped over probably too many hours on the cement court. The, um, the I just know it. I have nothing know nothing about his background, but he didn't grow up in an academy. Uh, if he did grow up in the academy, it probably came later. And mm-hmm. if he did grow up in the academy, it was probably thousands of hours in free play because you just don't get that sort of easy as possible without play. And um, you know, our our hope is that you know. Well, I think 15 years from now, everybody will be training that way. If you look at the A and B license in the U.S., like they're they're getting closer to the free play model. They they're they're not there yet, but they're getting closer. And mm-hmm. I think for developing kids, this is the uh, you know if you talk if you were to talk to a parent, a joy of people or a group of parents, I mean they'll. I think it's just a wonderful culture that we have of of those parents who are now like word of mouth telling about joy of the people and and how they sort of bring energy and ideas 
back in. We're really, I'm really, that's what probably what I'm most proud about is that culture that starts here, but extends outward. Um, so let's move on and talk about Joy Athletic Club. So you guys just announced uh, officially this new team, which will compete in the NPSL North next season alongside Minneapolis City, Duluth FC, Med City FC, et cetera. Um, when did you guys first make the decision that you wanted to field an actual lower league squad? Well, I think we, um, you know, our oldest kids are 20. The um, they're They're not quite, you know, in the sort of wheelhouse of, of this league. But I think our goals are not really to keep kids, you know, uh, in this league for long. I think yeah. our goals are to use this league to trampoline them otherwhere, uh, elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the uh, we have a big group of 05s, 04s, <clears throat> 06s um, that are, are very exciting. And... Um, we wanted to have something for them to kind of look forward to, you know, um, there's really with the Academy shutting down and, you know, restarting again mm -hmm. there, you know, our, our goal was never to like outdo anybody. Our goal was simply, what is that 10 year old? How do we serve the dream of that 10 year old? Mm -hmm. He wants to be the best. Let's, what would that take? And some of the things, I mean, you had Carl Craig and he was absolutely right that the education people are getting in other countries um, are better than here. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that has a lot to do with uh, not enough play, too much competition, too much what we call overload, which builds as fast as possible, yep. and not enough relaxed, low level, which builds easy as possible. So um, most kids, when you watch them play, and what's really interesting to me when I go to high school games, I usually know where I do my homework with, kids so if there's a, a kid that that plays well what's their background where are they from what what club system are they in and when i see our kids play they're they're really communicating out there they're telling us if you want to communicate it's not just throwing information out there the real purpose of language is to control the muscles of others mm -hmm. to take over the muscles of others and have them do what you wish and uh are people doing that are the people um doing that at the high school level i see our kids doing it i'm really and so we need a place for them to start doing it when they're 16 17 18 along with older players i think that we have to filter in sort of a u23 model uh in mm -hmm. europe where you have most of the kids are 20 19 20 21 and uh you also have um five or six um, over, you know, older players, 29, 30, that you're allowed to play three per game. We're not going to hold ourselves mm -hmm. to that rule hard fast, but we're, we're seeing ourselves in that respect. And we think that we have, it creates sort of a, a developmental tool for our kids to look up to. And not only on top of that, we also uh, formed a futsal team. So mm -hmm. we form we're in the NFPL, which they're not going to be able to have a season this year. Yeah. And so ideally we'll have NFPL. So we'll play futsal in the winter and then we'll play um, National Premier League in the, in the summer. We also are forming a women's team. Wow. I mean, and we're, uh, we're, we're forming a women's uh, futsal team as well. So we don't see futsal and soccer as solar different sports because we yeah. use um, 
free play. Um, I was taught a system um, through my um, Brazilian mentor, Fedeo Gonzalez, and I'll put the B-foot, um, I'll send you the B-foot link, but it's called foot communication and it starts in free play, goes up through futsal, and then eventually can be implemented in, in outdoor. And it's really neat. Kids love it. It's, um, it's pretty unusual. We've never really had enough players to do it. And mm-hmm. so we're really with ACE now as uh, the announced the head team coach, we're really excited about, about implementing it. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a way of sort of, I don't know, building a, a system for our kids to come up with always thinking about those dreams of like, how do you create the world's best or, or, or the development, the development education, the best possible education you can for a 10 year old. Um, will the roster be solely compiled of, of players who have come up through the youth organization or will be, will you guys be bringing on kind of uh, new, new players as we get closer to a potential 2021 season here? Yeah, we, we, it won't be all joy the people. It'll be, we don't have tryouts. We'll have trials mm-hmm. uh, where people will come for two, three weeks and we'll interview them. Uh, we don't have enough players right now. Okay. Uh, our goal would be to eventually, um, eventually, you know, we like all players. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we invite, we'll always invite players to come in and try out with us. If we're doing a good job with our academy, it's going to be really hard for other people to come in. I think we yep. we see that as the case. There are players out there that we've we we are inviting that haven't played with Joy the People, just because of numbers and position specific ideas. But really, I'm not in charge of that. That's really Ace and the sort of the sporting team. Got it. Um, I don't. I guess I have no idea what it's like. Uh, you know creating and coming up with a, with, with a soccer team that's going to be competing in a, in a league like the NPSL. Um, but were there, I'm assuming there were kind of unexpected hurdles when creating this team. And, and what'd you see as kind of, I guess, the biggest unexpected hurdle that you had to uh, overcome when, when, you know, get from start to finish in this process? The, um, that's a great question. The, the, of course, the pandemic, right. Yeah, and looking ahead, uh, honestly, we probably couldn't have done it um if it was a normal um season because we would have been too busy it's a it's a it's a pretty tough process to apply and do the interviews and the sort of the application and Mm -hmm. and think through and get you know the buy-in from everybody and and so we we did have a little more time and we we basically took advantage of the crisis and said okay let's move on this um the um i think the you know, the, the difficult thing is um, just sort of like putting the vision out there. Hey, people, yeah. we can do this, right? We have the tools. We can do this. Mm-hmm. We can, we have the players now. So many of our, our players played in the men's league with, you know, all the best players from the state last summer is sort of a truncated league. So I, I saw those players and I saw our players. So we know we can do this and we, um, you know, we have no ambitions of like running the table on the league. We are mm-hmm. going to, we are going to do the best we can. And we, uh, people who know Joy the People, we're probably the only team where are you, you know, are you nines? What was the score? Or how did it go today? Oh, it was the best. It was the greatest yeah. ever. And, oh, what was the score? 20-0. Um, we won. 
oh no, we lost, but it was still the greatest. <laughs> the we're the ones who could really have the fun. And my wife yeah. would say, they lost 20 zero. They're right where they're supposed to be. Uh, because, yeah. you know, when, when you're working on easy as young kids and, and free play is very slow compared to sort of more coach educated, deliver practice free play mm -hmm. is very slow, but it's very thorough. Mm -hmm. And there's a saying, you know, evolution is cleverer than you are. If you allow kids to learn in an environment where they can pick up ideas in a very, you know, uh, relaxed sense, they will, you know, spend a lot of hours not growing at all. And then all of a sudden just take off. But the reason people deliver practice kids is it works, at least temporarily. So, you know, our kids tend to not do so well when they're younger and then do really well when they're older. Obviously, there are probably a lot of clubs, you know, internationally, South America, who, who utilize the free play model in a you know, professional or semi-professional level. Are there any teams that you've studied or seen that do this domestically at this kind of level, the free play model? So, I mean, that's, really, that's the question, right? Because mm -hmm. um, when we went to, I went to Brazil with Victor, uh, we, and we met everybody. We met Zagallo. We met, I mean, we talked with everybody. And basically, uh, we thought, okay, this free play is, everybody said, you know, yeah, this kid played, just played, just played. You know, Pereira said every great, every Brazilian great played futsal uh, without exception. If free play is important, somebody must, around the world, must be building it into the curriculum. It mm -hmm. has to be there. So we, we went searching, and it, it's, it really doesn't exist. The way countries use free play is, they sort of encourage, they build cultures where kids play a lot. And the, the struggle that they're having in Brazil currently is people are going into the favelas and seeing the free play and they're plucking the kids out at eight, yeah. nine, 10. So they went going from this great environment uh, to this sort of not so great environment where they're getting mm -hmm. coached. So um, I think there's some really interesting things in free play in other sports. Um, in ultimate frisbee, in um, roller skating, and not roller skating, but um, the board and the wheels. Sorry, what is that? Skateboarding. skateboarding. The uh, skateboarding, I think, <laughs> in uh, rugby. Um, uh, a friend of mine who reached out from um, lacrosse told me that the Iroquois Indians are probably the best North American uh, model for uh, free play within uh, lacrosse. Wow. And they produce a crazy number of great players. Um, the, I think that's probably the, the best place. I don't know as much about it, but, mm -hmm. um, but this guy, Jamie Monroe, has told me that I need to really look at that. So the news broke both on your website and in PSLs last Friday about Joy Athletic Club joining the league. Uh, what's the reception been? Everything I've seen on social media and stuff has been pretty positive. And I have to say, fr from a personal standpoint, it's great to have another team from Minnesota kind of in that lower league scene to talk about. What's the reception been on like on your end? So, um, so, I mean, there's this guy named Franklin Tawa. He doesn't get much press, right? He he is the guy he was my coach when i was younger he um he came up with the bright idea this is probably a long time ago so when i first started playing you played in minnesota you played with uh you there was the all english team the cardinals you had the all-american team the bozos you had the 
the kickers, Germans, the Andinos, Hispanic, you had the Iranian team, you had Ukrainians, nobody mixed. Mm -hmm. Franklin came up with this idea that, no, I'm just going to put the best team together, no matter what. So I didn't join him at first. And he and my best friend went and joined him. And it was like Brazil, they had a Belgian, Brazilian. I, nobody thought it would work. Yeah. And uh, I called them the Cougars United Nations because they <laughs> were the second team of the Cougars. Anyways, that team became the internationals. I joined them. That was like probably the best amateur team this state has ever seen. Yeah. It was the big, it was the majority of the thunder. It was Yusuf went on to create twin stars. Yeah. Uh, the mini app, uh, the, you know, Franklin at toward the end, he was having some medical issues and he, he, that team be merged with and became Minneapolis city. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of connections. I coach Greg Salieras in college. So he, uh, and he's a good friend. He owns, uh, two teams, um, Med City and Arias. Okay. And so we have a lot of connections there. So, mm-hmm. so to see, um, to see coming through, I think, I think it's kind of, you know, in homage to Franklin and all he did for Minnesota soccer and like proving that this model could really work, but also as, um, you know, sort of reconnecting with Joseph and, and Minneapolis city, it's like, Hey, we can, you know, Let's make this league better. Let's really, mm-hmm. um, and you know, they've set a really high bar. I mean, yeah. um, so it, the logo thing was like, okay, whatever logo we get, we gotta be thinking about, we gotta be thinking about Minneapolis City because they got a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. So, so that's why we put the goat on top of the goal. It's like t- to think outside the goal, to think outside yeah. of the, to. Uh, and the goats was Eduardo came up with that, huh. and, uh, but we call it, you know, the pandemic base, get, let's see, get outside and try soccer. <laughs> so we tell it. that for the kids. That's our motto. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The uh, reception's been really good. Really, really friendly. Yeah. Is your goal or, or do you see this, you know, with you guys kind of using the free play model on this kind of level, um, you know, is it, is it your hopes or maybe your goal that this free play model maybe gets more exposure because of it and becomes more widely utilized on a domestic scale? Like how realistic do you think that is? Yeah, I think um, that's definitely it. So when we say free play model, everybody has, I think it's really hard to picture. Is it just throwing the ball out? Is it a trick soccer? Like, you know, where the kids are just, um, it's, it's none of that. It's, but it's, it's, the um it is really um by the time they get to high school they've learned how to pass they can penetrate they can pass they can do these things they they're good teammates they know how to work together they um um yeah the goal is um you know the first kid we signed was a kid named Bennett Kwame he's um I mean an amazing player he's uh I think 15 14 years old mm-hmm. 15 anyways he uh at the regional futsal championships he was basically taking on the national team by himself and um the and he was a 14 year old the 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 coach after the game was like fighting to get to him he couldn't wait to 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 get to him i mean the um we want to yeah we we think this model um if it's proven and 
our kids, we've already had one kid go pro. Our kids will go and, and make statements and there'll be more of them. That they might not ever, whatever they want to do is up to them. But our goal is really to win the World Cup. And if we're going to yeah. win the World Cup, we have to sort of help other communities build free play because mm-hmm. um, we can't, um, we don't own it. It's If we want to build the culture, we really have to build it. And, and, um, and people playing together will come up with great ideas and they'll move that forward. I think when people watch Joy the People, they will see something a little different if they look closely. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I think some of our players will, will go on to other places. And, you know, when people say, hey, where'd you grow up? You know, I'm, I'll be really proud if people go play at pro or higher levels, right? We've already had two mm-hmm. kids uh, on the national training pool for futsal. The, the, um, but my, my biggest um, joy is if kids drive by it one day and tell their kids, hey, that's where I grew up. That's where I played mm-hmm. as a kid. That was a great place. And, and I think all the kids that we've come through our system, they will treat their kids differently. They will, when they have kids, they'll know the beauty of play and they will grow it. So Joy Athletic Club isn't the only new venture that Joy the People has moving forward. Uh, what's free free play go? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, <clears throat> when we look at ideas of how to scale this idea of free play, and, and I hope people don't think I'm being, you know, we really do want to grow it and help people. And it's really people who've seen it, been through it, know how enjoyable it is. Mm. Um, the idea is how do we, when you when coaches go coach free play, we're always in a hurry. We always think we know better, and I'm I'm part of the problem. Believe me, I'd be like, well, that's good, but or too many turnovers, or not enough mm-hmm. tempo, or you know whatever it is, right? But kids can never mess it up. Yep. Kids can never mess it up because because they're kids. So the secret seems to be. It, what I tell my coaches in the gym is don't stand there like a coach. Don't stand there and, you know, act like you're be involved in the game, go play, be a part of the game. Um, now you can't mess it up because you are part of the game. You're, you're equal partner in that game. So free play goes the idea to put it simple, to bring this to communities. And the way to do it is we're going to take young men and women uh, right uh, age 18 and up and younger kids can do it too, but they just need a parent who's certified mm-hmm. background checked, safe sport checked, all those kind of things. <clears throat> and what it is, is we were, we are going to pay these young players who love to play, may not be playing, played high school, play college or play just recreationally, whatever it is, if they love to play soccer or really any sport, lacrosse, basketball, they have value. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is they're going to set up games. They'll get eight kids. They'll play soccer with them. Uh, they'll check them in. And when the game's over, they'll check them out. And free play go pays those um, leaders. We call them free play heroes. Wow. Um, to, yeah, it's like sort of a gig economy. And then we, you know, the plan, the, the business plan is we, we email the parents of the kids who played, hey, Ted just ran a free play go game for you. Can you donate? And then also reaching out to corporate. And, and what we see is like all these games are 
close to home at their schools, after school, before school, um, school clubs, neighborhood parks, backyards, anything close to home. And we're, we're training all our um, what we call rice and beans kids at Joy of the People to to do this. So pretty soon we'll, we'll be having some people do this. And we've trained people from uh, North Carolina, from St. Louis, uh, from San Diego. Um, so we're getting ready to actually start paying um, coaches or I'm sorry, free play heroes to run games. And people say, well, isn't it kind of paid to play? And, uh, you know, we, we thought about it and we we're like, can we do this where we don't pay people? Can we just do this all volunteer? And I think because we're taking on such a big industrial sports complex that mm-hmm. we do have to sort of present sort of an incentive. And, and the beauty yeah. of this is clubs can use this. So imagine if you're a club like Minneapolis United, you probably have. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell Tom about this. I'll, I'll go to Tom and say, hey. Let's institute this at your at your club. But the the idea would be, okay, Minneapolis United probably has 50 different elementary and middle schools where their kids go to school. Mm-hmm. Can each of those kids who go to those schools start a free play go game and you know after school, you know, um, at those schools you have 40 different games. Those are like you know 400 new people introduced to um, introduced to Minneapolis United. Those the older kids, the free play heroes are getting, are actually underloading. They're, they're, they're playing easy. Right. Mm-hmm. And the younger kids are being introduced to it. They're overloaded. So it creates the heroes actually get better. And so do the younger kids and they're building these games all over. We just hope that we can, you know, pull it off. Now I, I may have missed this and I apologize, Ted, is this only done during, during outdoors or can, can, is this done like during winter on an indoor level too? Yeah. Well, right now it's being done nowhere, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. But, but uh, the, yeah, it can be anywhere. It can be indoors, outdoors, wherever you can get a space um, you create it. You know, we're trying to create partnerships with organizations that have rental space, like, Domes are probably a big, you know, but maybe gyms. Hey, is there any gym time that you can't use that we can get hand over to kids where they can run free play games for kids in the community? So the, the beauty of play is kids can't screw it up. Yeah. If there's, if things are, um, if things are done right, they can't screw it up. And though, and, you know, we think that that's a really good way to sort of um, present a very low anxiety level soccer to a, a broader audience without sort of hands-on stuff. Very cool. Well, Ted Creighton, I look forward to uh, watching Joy Athletic Club join NPSL in 2021. And then also uh, how Free Play Go uh, sort of gets started and everything you guys are doing at Joy of the People. It's been a pleasure talking with you. You've done excellent work with them. And uh, I hope to have another conversation here with you uh, sometime here in the future, okay? Thanks so much. Thanks so much.